Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. There are several different things we're going to be discussing on today's program, but they're all related to one another in, in a roundabout way, and I think you'll see that. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the two famous men that were in the news this week that uh, have seemingly fell away from the Lord and what our response should be. Another thing that we're going to be discussing is how counterfeit moves, counterfeit moves in the spirit are causing many to doubt the authentic. And on the other side of that is how liberal Christianity is causing people to doubt the inerrancy of the word. We're going to be moving from evangelical mysticism to liberal reformers and how we desperately need a mighty move of God and how I believe you should expect one. Not because, not just because we, some of us feel it in our spirit that a great awakening is going to come, but even just, but even just studying how God works in cycles and in patterns, which I'm going to explain. Um, I believe that we can expect a mighty move of God here very soon. So yeah, so Hillsong worship leader Marty Sampson and Joshua Harris, a very famous a Christian author, author of the book "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." They are very famous. <clears throat> sure, they were on pedestals. There's a problem with putting people on pedestals. Only Jesus belongs on pedestals. So yeah, a, a worship leader at the largest church in the world um, has is on very shaky ground, he says. His, his faith is being tested, and he doesn't even know what he believes anymore. And another famous pastor, which many of us read his book in the 90s, it was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. But the problem is this, is we're focusing on them because I understand they're putting, they're on pedestals and they're leading people. But the, the thing is this, if they wouldn't have done this this week, it doesn't change the fact that thousands of people are leaving the church and their souls are just as important, right? Your soul is important. It's our eternal souls. The, at the, I've said it before, at the moment of conception, you became a forever person. At the moment of conception, you became an eternal being. You will live somewhere else forever and all of eternity. And what you're experiencing right now, you watching me right now in this little podcast, you in this moment, me in this moment, we are in that little time period that the word of God refers to as a vapor. So small, you can't even see it. But it's what we decide to do here in this little vapor that determines where we spend all of eternity for, uh, where, where we spend all of eternity at, I should say. Why are people leaving their belief in God? Why are so many people doubting? Maybe you're doubting. Watch till the end of the show if you're doubting. I believe you're going to be encouraged. There's a lot of, I was raised in the evangelical church. I still am an evangelical, so it gives me right to talk about it. There's a lot of counterfeit in the evangelical church. It's not authentic. And we're going to be dealing with the other side, too, the more of the reforming, the Calvinistic reformed in nature as well. There has been a mixing. Remember that word because it's going to be a thread throughout this show. There has been a mixing, a mixing of worlds the parable of the wheat and the weeds or the tares based on your uh, your translation in Matthew 13, it's an analogy of Christians 
and people of the world living alongside each other in this vapor. It was not an analogy for the body of Christ itself. Jesus said that the field was the world in which the wheat and tares grew, not the body of Christ, not the church. It wasn't within his holy bride that he said the tares would grow. Something drastic is going to take place within Christendom. And it's going to be awesome. I'm praying for another real and authentic move of his Holy Spirit over the world. A revival, you might call it. Um, a great awakening, you might call it. The final harvest. I believe these are all going to be one and the same. I'm choosing to call it a, the next reformation that's going to take place. Another reformation is going to take place. Yes, I'm referring to like Martin Luther and the 95 Thesis. I'm referring to the Great Schism. I'm referring to we're going to go and see these 500-year cycles that the Lord seems to work in. We're going to move into a new reformation, a new purity, a new depth within the body of Christ, preparing the body of Christ not only to endure the times ahead, because that's what the reformation, this new one's going to do, but to prepare her as a pure and spotless bride before Jesus. Amen. We're going to be right back after this. Listen, buckle up. This is going to be a, a really good uh, show. I believe you're going to be blessed by it. In Jesus' name, I, I just pray that the anointing would be on this show right now. That if you're doubting, that bondage will be broken in Jesus' name. If you're, going, what, if, if you're questioning the authenticity of God, I pray that, that you would see him clearly. And that you could be able to look through the imperfected body of Christ in this moment to see the perfected Jesus. Right after this, we're going to be joined by co-host Andrew Bellers. God seems to work in types, in patterns. Um... It's, it's as if he works in cycles. Now, this is only a half an hour show. I could literally do a whole half hour show just on that. But did you know that the body of Christ has experienced, um, I guess you would call it a revolution, a reformation, but a revolution roughly every 500 years where the established order is turned upside down and it's replaced with something fresh, um, the first one, or excuse me, the, the the latest one for Western Christianity, the Protestant or Great Reformation was about 500 years ago when Martin Luther famously penned the 95 Thesis against the Catholic Church, right? Right. <clears throat> Which was really basically just boiled down to two central thoughts, that the Bible is the central religious authority, amen, and that humans may reach salvation only by their faith and not by their deeds. He really kind of was spurred within it within him was the Catholic Church selling indulgences. Yeah, there's a lot of corruption that was in the church. Exactly. So that was 500 years ago, and it was an incredible thing. It was a it was a time of of mixing, and I'm going to get into that. Uh, then the one before that, the 500 years before that, you you hit the the Great Schism when the church divided between the East and the West. And then 500 years before that, you have, and there's many different things that could attribute to this, but I have here, you know, basically Pope Gregory the Great, uh, who helped bring the church out of the Dark Ages. It was around 476 uh, AD as well when the fall of Western Europe, or Western Roman Empire uh, uh, fell. 
So 500 year cycles. <clears throat> now, what is like a key, like the denominator uh, between these reformations? Okay, well, one, great things took place. During every reformation, the dominant form of Christianity is mm -hmm. reconstituted mm -hmm. into something more pure. Basically, what I mean by that is going back to the basics, going back to simply the word of God. A less ossified, you'd say, expression of its former self. And also, Christianity, during the times of Reformation, every 500 years, mm -hmm. spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. That should excite you. That should excite you. Each Reformation has drastically increased the church's depth and reach. Wow. This great awakening that people talk about, the last harvest, I believe it's going to coincide. It's going to be the same thing as the last great Reformation. And I believe that it has happened every 500 years. And the last one was in 1517. That's amazing. Like clockwork. It is. It's like we should expect it. Now, I will say this. Jonathan Kahn used to always say, as soon as you try to put God in a box, he finds a way to wiggle out of it. Okay? But here's the thing. it's These reformations have always come at times of great mixing. What I mean by that is whenever the world whenever the church mixes itself with the world that is ever reformation takes place and that is what we're seeing right now and every every time like i said they go back to a pure form of really just the word of god amen here's a little history okay so the first time this happened was around 400 AD whenever the church began to mix with the world. And then about 100 years later is the first Reformation after the Apostles, 500 years after the Apostles. So we can read about it in Revelation chapter 2. Most of us, it's actually the third church. In Revelation, there's seven churches listed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, starting with Ephesus and ending with Laodicea. The third church in that list is called the Compromising Church. Most in America would probably fit within that Compromising Church uh section of, of scripture. Mm -hmm. The church is Pergamos, or maybe your translation says Pergamum. It's literally the same word, just one's the female or male version of the word you could say. Mm. So here's what's interesting. The meaning of Pergamos. Pergamos represents the period of church history when we married the world, where compromised entered. So per Gamas is made up of two words, per and gamas. Per means mixed or objectionable, and gamas means marriage. So basically, it's saying that the church of Pergamos in Revelation chapter 2 was characterized as the body of Christ being married with the world. That's what it meant. Yeah. If you won't ever say anything, you jump in here. Revelation 2 12, it says this And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This is Jesus talking. Now, and obviously, if say I have here, if Satan wanted an area headquarters, Pergamus would have been the place. Uh, it was the capital city of the uh, the province. It was a city dedicated to religion with many temples to honor many different deities, as well as uh, being the many different deities. It was a notorious center of wickedness. 
Zeus is said to have been born there. And to celebrate that, there is a huge altar that stood on a foundation, which was 125 feet by 115 feet and over 50 feet high, set in a colonnaded enclosure. Uh, People think that that is actually probably the throne that they refer to as Satan's throne. Uh, There's also, it's connected to Hitler and it's connected to Obama, but that's a whole other story. There's a rich history there we really can't get into. Yes. Um, And we talked about it on one of our earlier shows. Uh, Go back to the scripture. Talk about the church of Pergamos. Uh, This is Jesus talking. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. These are things that were happening within the body, that, that church body. Thus, you have uh, those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Uh, the Nicolaitans were a sect who taught impure doctrines and followed the most pure, impure practices. They taught that adultery and fornication were okay, that eating meats offered to idols was lawful, and mixed several pagan rites with the Christian ceremonies. Verse 16, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, no one knows except him who receives it. I believe the church in America right now uh, could be characterized as the Pergamum church, the Pergamus church, the church that has been married, which is an objectionable mixed marriage with the world the compromising church yeah and i think it's i think it's important that it says that i i know where you dwell where satan dwells and i think you know there there is something spiritual about that he's saying that you know when you talk about this this mixture of the world and christianity the heart of that is deception because you've believed you've come to believe that something that christ said something that is in the word is wrong and something that is in the world is right and deception is the heart of, uh, well, Satan. Satan is the father of lies. That's right. And so this church was being mixed. And what I'm saying right now, what I'm, what I'm connecting it to is this. Um, before every great reformation, the church had become mixed again with the world. But yet a few within that body, within the body of Christ, the remnant, so to speak, caught fire. And a revolution took place. So... This is a very interesting study. Um, it was actually done by uh, Dr. Chuck Missler that the seven churches listed in Revelation two and three. Um, once again, going from Ephesus, uh, you know, to Smyrna, to uh, Pergamum, and so on, to to you know, end with Philadelphia and, and Laodicea. Those seven churches outlined. It talked about the things that they were doing well, the things that they weren't doing so well, right? And we can often find ourselves personally. Within one of those churches, oh, I'm identifying right now with the church of, you know, Laodicea or whatever. Right. But the seven churches outline from Ephesus to Laodicea actually outline the spiritual history of the church from its birth 
in the book of Acts, which is which was represented by Ephesus, which means the desired one. And then the second church was Smyrna, which represented the persecuted era of the church, where Smyrna, even though it's spelt differently, it's derived from the word myrrh, which is like from gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which myrrh was used for embalming, and myrrh even gave off its characteristic scent whenever it was crushed. Okay, and that represented the time period of the church of the of the persecuted time period, and then we move into Pergamum, which was the time period of the church. Whenever what happened, whenever the church mixed with the world, and it was during this time period around 400 A.D. was whenever it started, and then around 500 A.D. is whenever the Reformation took place. When mixing happens, is whenever Reformation will take place. Hmm. Now. I want to talk about the quick history of what was taking place in that time period. I think you'll, this is, if you haven't heard this, this is really cool. So around 325 AD, remember, we're kind of leading up to when the church was mixed around 400 AD, and then the Reformation came around 500 AD. So around 325 AD uh, was whenever the it was Constantine was ruling and he put forth the edict of toleration and established freedom of religion. Now, Constantine gets a bad rap oftentimes with Christians in history, but he was actually a pretty good dude. I mean, relatively speaking, he was a pretty good dude. Um, he favored Christians at court. He exempted Christian ministers from taxes. He issued a general exhortation to all his subjects to become Christians hmm. because he saw that they worked well and that they were honest and, and were full of integrity. Um, he ceased the gladiator fights. He reduced the killing of unwelcome kids. He ended crucifixion as a form of execution. All of these were, you know, uh, horrific things against the Christians as well. He advanced Christians to high offices. And, well, he also forbid work on Sunday. And, well, that, you know, ended up being... That was more of a political move for the empire rather than... But anyway, he forbid <laughs> work on Sunday, and he called it the day of worship. And then after him came Julian the Apostate, which ruled from 361 to 363 AD, and he sought to restore paganism. Then he had Jovian from 363 to 364. He sought to reestablish the Christian religion. And then you have Theodosius. This is where we're going to get to with Theodosius. He reigned from 378 to 395 AD. He made Christianity the state religion. He commanded it. His heart, I believe, was with good intentions, mm -hmm. but it was a horrific thing that happened from, from that. This is whenever the period where the church mixed. It's essentially when heathenism was Christianized. So Theodosius making Christianity the state religion, he forced everybody to become a Christian in name only. So what happened was pagan temples became Christian churches. Heathen festivals were simply converted into Christian ones. Pagan priests slipped into office as Christian priests because it's like, well, I have already had this temple. I guess now it has to be labeled, you know, a church, but uh, you know, I'm not a priest, but uh, I guess I have to be labeled one, even though I'm literally going to be continuing doing exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to be performing the same rites as I'm doing. I'm going to be performing the same festivals that I'm doing, but yeah, I'm going to be called something different. See, what happened during this time period, it appears that from the Insaris church history goes the persecuted era of Smyrna to Pergamos, which was the mixed church, Satan's strategy changed. 
Yeah. And it was essentially, if I can't beat them, I'm going to join them. And it was after this time period that that the Reformation came. And there's there's a lot of things that, I mean, we're still seeing the lingering effects of that time period. When you talk about, like, the Easter bunny and, you know, eggs on Easter. When... And even just the name Easter, when we're talking about the resurrection of Christ and celebrating that, lots of things have carried over from that just mm-hmm. because a forced conversion doesn't work. When you force a whole state to convert to a religion and they don't want to, they're going to start bringing in their culture and their and their beliefs in with it. Exactly. Same with, same with you know, Christmas and, and the same with, um, for example, I don't know if you know this, but like steeples on churches, right? Anytime you start talking about male anatomy, men get funny. <laughs> it's male anatomy or, you know, bathroom humor, we get funny. But it's not funny whenever it comes to the church. But really, basically, the, fa- the, the steeples on churches, that's nowhere in Scripture. The steeples on churches were literally from this era. The steeples on churches were literally, are literally a sign of the phallic symbol. If you want to look up phallic, <laughs> I, don't know I if mean, we need how to insane <laughs> is that? We literally have erected phallic symbols on our churches. That is insane. I mean, that's the wildest thing. Steeples don't mean anything else other than a phallic symbol, like the Washington Monument, right? I mean, literally, it is a phallic symbol. It's the it's the mixing. But listen, Reformation equals the last great awakening. This new reformation is going to work in alongside the last great awakening. Many, uh, maybe this last reformation will, will be the thing that prepares the body of Christ and brings in the last harvest to clean house of the impurities and to reset its focus on the one whom our eyes will behold forever and for all eternity, and that is Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what is being mixed today? We have a few different points. What is being mixed today? One, liberalism in the church liberalism that abandons the word of God as the ultimate authority. It is mixing the church, which means that there are there are other absolute truths other than the word of God, hmm. which leads not only to skewed theology like there are more ways to God than through Jesus or that Jesus wasn't sinless or that hell isn't a real place. It leads to sin no longer being sin. When the word of God, you know, whenever you filter the word of God through a liberal stance and it's no longer the inerrant word of God, sin isn't sin anymore. Like abortion, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage. This is an example of the mixing that has taken place. Yeah. Sex outside of marriage is a big one. But also another big one is sexual orientation. Homosexuality is is being um, accepted in a lot of churches in droves, really. I mean, if you look at the Anglican church and, and the American version, which is the Episcopal church, and... Uh, huge swaths of that denomination are full on accepting uh, homosexuality as not being a sin, and they're they're officiating gay weddings and they're allowing gay clergy. The same is happening with um, Lutherans in this in this country. You think about Lutheranism; that is a huge denomination, and b- huge portions of them are just accepting it. Uh, it. This is actually information that I've shared on the show before, but. Uh, according to a website called gaychurch.org, basically they have tasked themselves with finding gay-affirming churches um, that people can attend. There are just under 8,000 gay-affirming churches 
in the United States of America. In America alone? In America, just our country alone. And those are churches, mostly, mostly they get that list from churches who have submitted, um, they've given submissions to. So if that number is including the ones that submitted, there's lots of churches that haven't actually submitted to that site. So it's probably well over That's the implication, yeah, that, that there's more. Um, and and by the way, what it means by gay affirming is that it's not just that they believe that homosexual homosexuality is not a sin, which is is what they believe, um, but it's also that they officiate gay weddings and they allow um, gay clergy in in their churches. That's right. Just under eight thousand in America. That's insane. And this is more for like the reform side, the liberal side. It seems to be a little bit more. It's like the reform, the Calvinistic. Now there are some good Calvin Calvinistic uh, churches that are not incredibly liberal like Jeff Durbin or you know John MacArthur even though I don't agree with a lot of his theology and the but, ba- the Baptist church as a whole remains uh, relatively unscathed I'll say that yeah there's a lot of liberalism that's mixing itself within the body of Christ and then you have new age practices and thought processes entering the church through ministers repackaging Hinduism and this is more reserved for the evangelical you don't see this in the reformed churches yeah this is more for the evangelical this is whenever we talked about last or a couple weeks ago about how churches are practicing yoga at their facility during the week, how Christian tarot cards are being used through a ministry called Christ Alignment called Destiny Cards. Yeah. This it's, is insane. And, and you know, they would use this justification like, oh, we're redeeming, you know, what is pagan. We're redeeming worldly things for Christ. And I just find an issue with that because holy means to be set apart. And, you know, we're taking the forms and practices of pagan religions. Why? You know, if it brings someone in, let's say it brings someone in who who does use tarot cards and believes that they work. And we say, oh, we have these destiny cards. And maybe they're prophetic. Maybe God is working through them. But couldn't that just be a huge stumbling block for that person? Yeah. And I think that's that's what ultimately happens when we try and mix and match the the practices of the world and the practices of the church is just a lot of people stumbling and and being deceived. I'm telling you if this the cycle simply continues it means that we're on the verge of another great awakening of a new reformation. Um you know we only have a couple minutes left uh back to the two famous Christians leaving the church and having doubts. The problem is with this is is this when the counterfeit is allowed to grow alongside the authentic, the leaven of the counterfeit will not be kept from entering into the authentic. When this happens, it creates doubt, confusion. It becomes difficult to differentiate between the counterfeit and the authentic, which can lead to throwing away the authentic as well. This is why we must have a daily, fresh relationship with Jesus, and we are constantly within our word. And I'm going to tell you right now that I I have had my own doubts, okay? Now, not doubts within Jesus, not about Jesus, but it was things that I saw many years ago that caused me to doubt. I haven't doubted for years, but I'm just saying it was many, it was things that I saw within the body of Christ that caused me to doubt because I saw so many things that weren't authentic. And it literally had to drive me back to have my own little reformation to where I boil my what I believe down to literally what is in the word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. But whenever I saw in the evangelical church, whenever I saw people convulsing on the ground, uh, getting up bruised and rug burned, and leaders encouraging it as a sign of the spirit. Whenever I saw people screaming with such 
distracting laughter that absolutely no one could pay attention to what the Lord actually wanted to do. I've been in services where we literally coined them hair warriors. These women would literally have these massive long ponytails, all braided up, you know, Pentecostal church. And when the spirit would move, they would swing their heads like a helicopter. I mean, truly, you couldn't be within about a four foot radius of these people. You could barely see their hair. They're moving so fast. I mean, it was just downright Weird. That is weird. Super <laughs> not authentic. I mean, how can you, where do you find something like that? Like, like when the hip spirit hits them, that they have to go like this? I mean, that's so, that just casts confusion. I've, I've seen these things. I, there's so many, I, I've seen, I've seen the gold dust forming. These are things I've seen, not read about. I've seen the gold dust form on the the pedestals of, of the ministers. I've seen uh, where I went up to the, to the, podium um or the pulpit because the pastor was calling us up there to see all of the incredible jewels that have formed on the pulpit and there was a massive amount of jewels i don't believe any of it was real i really don't it just was it was such an awkward feeling in in my in my stomach now i went to go to that particular church that church couldn't even make its bills i mean and I'm, I'm not saying it's about driving brand new Mercedes, but if you saw the pastor's cars, I mean, it was, they were rust buckets. If those were really jewels and they were seeing <laughs> that every week, don't you think that they would have a car that could actually get them from point A to point B? It was all fake. It's a good they're, point. They're, they were plastic. <laughs> it was plastic. It wasn't authentic. I, you know, I've been in so many prophetic circles to where I have received words that it built nothing, Andrew, besides my own ego. Mm. Did not build the Lord's kingdom, but built my own ego. I've seen the counterfeit. I believe, first of all, the deception that's coming is going to pale in comparison. My friend was recently telling me about a service in which the word couldn't even be preached because every time the minister opened up the word, she would burst into uncontrollable laughter. Okay, well, Zach, you're saying the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Understand, though, that the gospel was never proclaimed that day. And the word of God was never spoken. That ought to be reason for you to question what you're seeing. I'm going to end with this. I'm telling you, a, a more pure form of Christianity is coming. In the evangelical world, to where it'll be authentic moves of the Spirit, and the Reformed world, where they will come back to the Word of God as the inerrant Word of God. And I end most shows with talking about encouraging you to get into your Word. We need to be praying for these two individuals that fell away from the Lord, from Hillsong and the famous author. But yeah. it was it was the uh, you have to do this in like literally thirty seconds. Skillet, what's his name, Mr. Cooper? John Cooper. John Cooper of Skillet. Yeah. Pin something. I usually encourage you to get in the word. I'm going to have John Cooper encourage you because what he said was fire. Yeah. It was good. This is what he said. Okay, I'm saying it because it's too important not to. What is happening in Christianity? More and more of our outspoken leaders or influencers who were once faces of the faith are now falling away. And at the same time, they're being very vocal and bold about it. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential 
influential people in Christendom. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of the word. There's a common thread running through these leaders, influencers, that basically say that no one else is talking about the real stuff. That is just flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader's statement, how could a God of love send people to hell? No one talks about it. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years. Literally, everyone talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. Just because you don't get the answer that you want doesn't mean that we're unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with scripture until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the, in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. Amen. Let the word of God be the compass that motivates and leads your every step in this vapor. The word of God. We'll see you next week. 